For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Father, thank you for this, uh, this word to us, I, I believe, that is, is, um, is really a challenge, I guess, to us. This man that you called a man after your own heart served his generation, served the purpose of God, rather, in his generation. And when he was done... He fell asleep. And it is a challenge to us, Lord, to before we fall asleep, before we die, that we do everything we can to serve the purpose of God in our generation. And I pray, Father, that would be a challenge to all of us, not just today, but the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've been speaking of generations. I've been fascinated by the characterization of generations for a number of years. I remember back when we had a big youth group and, and uh, I wanted to know everything there was to know about Gen X because that's who we were dealing with. And so I read up on the characteristics of Gen, Gen X. And I know these are very generalized, but you know I'm part of the baby boomers. And when I read the characterizations of both the positive and negative characterizations of baby boomers, I say, yeah, that sounds like us. And so it, it's a, though it's very generalized and you can't say every single person falls under these, these things, uh, for the most part, it's, a lot of it's true. Um, there's baby boomers, Gen X, of course, Gen Y are more commonly known, at, called today millennials. And then uh, there's the up and coming Gen Z. And one of the weaknesses that is a common complaint of millennials is they have a poor work ethic. And if they work at all, they want to spend less time working. They don't want to, they want to do 40 hours a week. Um, and often they change jobs. This is, now I've got this off of some statistics, and, and I, actually I looked at several websites and some that actually uh, polled Gen, uh, Gen Ys or millennials. So this is not just... Uh, assumptions by baby boomers. Oh, you know, you lazy bums. It's it's just that you know the actual polling of of millennials that they don't want to work forty hour weeks. They they and another thing about them is they often change jobs an average of every two years. And uh, <clears throat> which which by the way, when I came here, I I told Lori, I said I think we'll be here a couple of years. We'll be gone. And um, lo and behold, 33 years later. So this is a current crisis in our country right now. There's a dearth of workers right now. And um, part of that is because there's a lot of people that just don't want to work. And so we're experiencing that. And we, we, we all see the now hiring signs everywhere, everywhere we look and everywhere we go. My kids always had a good work ethic. Uh, we homeschooled our kids, as you know, in the, in, very, in the very early years. And my job was to teach them the Bible. And, and because I didn't have a curriculum, I thought long and hard about what, what I would teach my kids. What, where, would I, where would I start in the Bible to teach my kids? And I thought, well, let's, let's start in Proverbs because Proverbs is a book that is often addressed to 
kids, my son, you know, do this, my son or my children do this. So I thought that would be a good place to start. And plus it was, a, it, it gave great practical wisdom and um, including a good work ethic. And one of the things that I stressed concerning uh, their jobs was I frequently emphasized to them to make themselves indispensable. And it, it because it, when you make yourself indispensable, it gives you a good rapport with your bosses, but also it gives you job security in lean times. I remember <clears throat> stressing this especially to Jeremiah when he was nervous about working in an industry where everyone around him had a degree in this field, and he did not. He was the only one in his in his in the complex that didn't have a degree in in that in in uh, that industry. And so I told him one day, because he was nervous about it, I said, look, you know, I've always taught you make yourself indispensable. And so he began to do that. He taught himself things that others weren't doing. He video and photography, editing software, videography, photography, and so forth. And he would start teaching himself those things. And so when an annual evaluations would come up, he would get a raise when others that had the degrees would not get a raise. And when lean times came and there would be threats of layoffs, his name wouldn't even be considered. He made himself indispensable. It's nice to know that you're indispensable. Let me tell you that each one of you are indispensable to God. Every single one of you are indispensable to God. Each of you plays a part in telling God's grand story. I've talked a lot about this over the last few years. It's become one of my top, you know, if, if people talk about life messages. You know, what is your life message? And I would say it's one of my top, I have a handful, but that's one of my top ones is I talk about that we're all telling God's story, that our lives are telling the story of all stories, which is God's story, and our, the lives that we live tell something about God's grand story. So I thought long and hard about saying this because, saying that we are indispensable to God because it seems theologically wrong to say that we are indispensable to God, that it seems theologically wrong to say that God needs anybody, that God needs any one of us. Does God really need me? And so there was a part of me that, especially in my early theological leanings in my early years, in my 20s and 30s probably, mostly in my 20s probably, that that seems so theologically wrong. But the Bible seems to insist on this. The Bible, because God had a purpose for his creation, and in that purpose for his creation, it would take a man and a woman to accomplish God's purpose. And so he created a man and a woman he would rely on humanity to fulfill his glorious purpose. So you could say this. You could say that God needed Adam and Eve, that they were indispensable to God. If God was going to do what he planned to do with his creation, he needed these two. And so he created them and instructed them as to how to accomplish his purposes and his goal. And generation after generation after generation, he called on people to serve him by serving their generation, as David did. For instance, 
God needed a Noah. God needed a Noah. Who else is going to build an ark and save mankind? God needed someone to do that. And so he found a man named Noah. He needed Noah to do this. God needed Abraham. Who else is going to father the Israelites who would ultimately become and produce our Savior Jesus Christ? God needed a Moses. Who else is going to deliver God's people from slavery and bring them into freedom and bring them into ultimately, eventually, to the promised land? God needed a Ruth. Who else would faithfully follow her mother-in-law and end up being a grandmother to Christ? God needed these people to accomplish his purpose. You get my point. God needed David. God needed Elijah. But also, God needs Richard, and God needs Lori, and God needs Randy, and God needs Sheila, and God needs Otis. And you get my point. God needs you. God needs you. And God needs Michael. We are indispensable to God and his story. He needs you to write his story. And so just as God created man to kick this whole thing off, he introduces players or actors, if you will, into the different stages and scenes of the story. You know, every play has a story. Every, every play has a story and, and different people may come into a scene that want for one scene and and then be taken out of the scene the next. They come in for a purpose. They come in, they're important to that part of the story, and then they're taken out in the next scene, perhaps. And so he introduces players into the different stages and scenes of history and his story, always at the right place at the right time, right? One of the most famous examples of this is in the book of Esther, when Mordecai said of Esther this, this famous line that we all know, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And every one of us could say that. Who knows that we have not come into this time in history, in this place in history, for such a time as this to do something that's important to the kingdom of God. In other words, Esther was at the right place and at the right time, and so are you. I've heard some people say, Oh, I wish I had been born at a different time in history. I think I would have done better if I'd been born in the, you know, whenever. I was going to say the 50s, and I thought, <laughs> I was born in the 50s. <laughs> but born at a different time, you know, lived at a different time. I've heard people say that my whole life. As though God doesn't know what he's doing in creating your life at this moment in history. At introducing you, your, your, this, your, your, as an actor, into this scene, in this moment, in this time, in history. Even Jesus, the Bible says, was brought forth at the right time. He, he couldn't come earlier, couldn't come later. It was the right time, and so God introduces Jesus, the man, Christ Jesus, at the right time in history. Here's what it says in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, see, and the fullness of time had come. Now's the time, God says, now is the moment. This Christmas day, this Christmas evening, night, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When God needed a Noah, 
Noah was at the right place in his life to build a boat. Build a boat. When God needed a Moses, he had already been preparing Moses mentally and spiritually to take on the task. It couldn't have happened 40 years earlier. Moses wasn't ready yet. And so at the right time, at the right moment, when Moses was prepared mentally and spiritually, God introduces him into, the, into Pharaoh's court. Make no mistake, you're here on this earth at this moment because God needs you to be here at this moment, accomplishing his purposes. I love this line in John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. You could insert your name there. There was a woman sent from God whose name was Lori. There was a man sent from God whose name was Michael. You could insert your name there. Because every one of you were sent by God into this moment in history and in time and place. And that's why you're here. This is true of every one of us. When I came here over 33 years ago, it was at the right time for me and our family and the right time for Living Water Fellowship, a.k.a. New Wine Church, a.k.a. Journey Church. Because God was going to bring about a change in all of us. God was about to bring about a change in every one of us, in, in, in the church and in Lori and me. I can remember a very significant, this isn't off my notes now, I'm, I want to share this story, but I can remember a significant Sunday. I could tell you what I was preaching on. It was a watershed moment for me in, in my time here. It was two years into my time here. And like I said, when we got here, we, we were unimpressed <laughs> with the town, not the church, but we were unimpressed. And uh, again, like I said, we thought we'd be here for a couple of years. It took Lori a little bit longer than me. I think she says five years. It took her about five years. It took me two. But it took me two because of a specific message I was preaching. I was doing a series called The Seven Sayings of Jesus on the Cross. And I was doing the line, and it was a seven-part series because he said seven different things. And I was doing the line, It is Finished. And I remember right in the middle of that message, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, do you really believe this? It is finished. Because I had for two years tried to conform Living Water Fellowship into White Mountain Christian Center that I had left and been there for nine years. I came here and thought, this is not White Mountain Christian Center. I'm going to make them like White Mountain Christian Center. But at the same time, I felt the pressure from the church trying to make me into their former pastor. Well, our pastor didn't do things that way, you know. And I, I would get that often. One day, Lori and I were up here cleaning out a, some files, and we were throwing stuff in the trash can, and somebody from the church showed up and said, you're throwing away stuff that's part of who we are. And I thought, not anymore. You want to take it? Here, take it home. If it's important to you, take it home. That's not who we are anymore. But I was right in the middle of preaching this message, and God said, you need to declare this morning that White Mountain Christian Center is, you need to say it is finished to that. And the, you need to get the church to say it is finished to Living Water Fellowship. The next week, we changed the name of the church to New Wine Church. Le, water into wine, right? Living Water Fellowship into New Wine. 
But what I'm saying is, is that I, I came here at the right time for me, for our family, and for this family. And God brought about great change in all of us. And that's what happens when we are serving the purpose of God in our generation, is that we can expect times like this when things begin to change. God, God is going to accomplish His purpose in telling His story through us and through what we do. And by the way, we have told it well. We have told God's story well. Jesus was born at the right time. And you were born at the right time. So you are indispensable to God. The title of my message, by the way, is Indispensable? Question mark. And the reason the question mark is there is because when I was preparing this message, again, we had family here, and so I knew we, I was going to be very busy with family on Friday. Matt would be coming in that night, and I would probably likely be busy on Saturday. And so I had to prepare my message earlier, and I was working on it on in Thursday. Kicked out of my office, so I'm working on my message in my bedroom. And Lori came in, and, and uh, she said, what are you preaching on? And I said, I said, you are indispensable, and you are not indispensable. And she said, that sounds contradictory. And I said, just wait. <laughs> That's why the question mark. Because everything, everything I've said to this point is true. You are indispensable to God, and you're telling his story. But we are indispensable to God only in our time. We have a time. Only in the time that God has allotted to us. Here's what David says about this in Psalm 31, verse 15. David says, my times are in your hands. My times, my seasons of life are in your hands. My, this time is in your hands, God, and my next time is in your hands, God, and my previous time was in your hands, God. And it's the last half of our text this morning. And if you go to the next slide, it will be back to where we started. It's the last part of this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, was gone. He fell asleep. He served God's purpose and then he was gone. So as indispensable as David was, he wasn't indispensable. Or otherwise, God would have kept him alive forever. Right? Even Jesus was here with an earthly mission, and once that was completed, he was gone. Jesus served the purpose of God in his generation, and then he was gone. Of course, we know he lives, and he's here spiritually, etc., but his earthly time, his time here on this earth, even he was gone at one point. Not one of the important men and women that I've named today were absolutely and eternally indispensable, of course, except Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve died. They were supposed to transform the world. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. By the way, you're not going to get to accomplish that. You can do as much as you can and then you're gone. And in Genesis chapter 5, eight times we read these three words. 
and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. We, we all give way to the next generation or to the next one called up to tell God's story, the next part of God's story. Noah gives way to his three sons. Abraham gives way to Isaac, then Jacob, who becomes Israel. Moses gives way to Joshua. Elijah gives way to Elisha. Let me go back to the passage in Psalm 3115 again. My times are in your hands. These are appointed times. In other words, my time in a certain place has accomplished God's purpose and then we're gone. I thought long and hard about this for a couple of days before I started writing my notes. And I'm glad I waited because I, I believe God spoke a personal word to me for all of us in this time that we're facing right now. As great as Moses was, as great as Moses was, he couldn't bring the children of Israel into the land of promise. At some point, there was, there was a limit to what he could do, and this is it. And, and God says, okay, you're not going to take them in. I'll take you on top of a mountain. You can look into the promised land, but you're not going in, and you're not taking the people in with you. You brought them this far, and that's good. But you served my purpose, and now somebody else is going to do the rest of it. So that was left to Joshua. Now, perhaps there was some, some sentimentality going on in the people. There is in all of us. I know that. I feel that. I hear it. I feel it in my own heart. Maybe the people thought, eh, but we've we gotten used to Moses. We, we need Moses. So God took him. God took him because the Bible says he didn't die of old age. He was 120, yes, but the Bible says his eyes were not abated and his, his eyes were not dim and his strength was not abated. So God took him. You're done. I'll let you see it. And then you're gone. You're done. And so there was, there was still this sentimentality, I think, among the people because the book, that, that happens, by the way, Moses dying happens at the end of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the last one being Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter or something like that where God says, God takes Moses. So the next book in the, in the Bible is Joshua. And the first two verses of Joshua basically say this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now rise and go into the promised land. It's almost as though God's saying, saying, look, people, I know you like Moses. I know you love Moses. But he's not going to take you into the promised land. And this is what the Lord said to me in this. As long as Moses was around, they would miss out on the promised land. So I believe God is saying that we all, Lori and me included, all of us, need to rise up and get ready for the next new thing, the next scene in our life, and, and, and that's, again, for us as well. Another example of this that the Lord spoke to me and kind of gave me some really good encouragement about is Elijah. Elijah, you know, gets all the fanfare. He's, he's one of the prophets. that Everybody knows Elijah because he's, he's one of the great prophets and did some amazing things stood up to Ahab and stood up to the 450 prophets of Baal and all, and all this stuff. And so Elijah, we hear Elijah this and Elijah that. 
And even Elijah thought at one point that he was all that. This is what it says. This is what Elijah says. Elijah answered, I have been absolutely loyal to the Lord, the sovereign God. Even though the Israelites have abandoned the agreement they made with you, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone am left. I'm the, I'm the only one left. Everybody else has abandoned you. Look at me. I'm big, I'm big shot Elijah, etc. And he was, yes, he was indispensable to God, and then he wasn't <laughs> indispensable to God. And God corrected him. Elijah, you're not indispensable. And since you said this, let me tell you what's really going to happen. I've already got your replacement. <laughs> I mean, I've already got somebody waiting in the wings. As a matter of fact, not only have I got your replacement, you're, you're going to go find him and anoint him to take your place, named Elisha. And Elisha, the Bible says that Elijah threw his mantle over Elisha. He was out plowing his parents' field, still living at home, millennial. <laughs> Sorry for the dig, but anyway. Um, God had him go uh, anoint his successor. And even though Elijah gets all the fanfare, we barely hear of Elisha. And yet, do you realize, it might surprise you to know, that Elisha uh, performed twice the miracles that Elijah did? Remember at one point, Elisha, when he thought God, when he knew God was going to take Elijah out, Elisha said, God, give me a double portion of this man's spirit. And God did. He performed exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah did. So, as as indispensable as Elijah was, he wasn't indispensable. Because God even said, Look, he said, You think you're the only one? I've got 7,000. I'm doing a Biden thing here. 7,000. You know how he whispers sometimes. 7,000. 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. So do I need you? I've got 7,000 other people that are waiting in the wings and I've got your successor ready. So here's what I felt like God was saying to me about that. I said what God was saying to me about Moses and, and, and uh, Joshua taking over for Moses that God is saying, rise up and get ready for the next new thing. And with Elijah to Elisha, I want you to expect a double portion of whatever you think you have received here. And I think we've all received a great deal here, but expect a double portion because God replaces an Elijah with Elisha. I said a few weeks ago that God never demotes. He always promotes and so expect a promotion and expect a double portion of the spirit that you received in this place.